Welcome to the Remote First Podcast. Every week we invite guests from large or innovative companies to share their insights on enabling an equitable and distributed workplace experience. I'm your host, Daphne Laforêt. Hi all, this week I have the pleasure to have Jenny Terry, who is the Director of Business Operation at Buffer. Buffer is a fully remote company that is recognized for their transparency, their openness, their culture, but especially when it comes to salaries, there's really a lot of transparency there. And it's a topic that is quite a debate at the moment recently because people are looking into longer term strategies to keeping remote work in their culture. So thank you so much, Jenny, for joining us and then sharing a bit more about your experience there. Absolutely. I'm excited to chat with you today. Thank you. And then can you let us know a little bit more about, you know, what is your role at Buffer and how does it get involved in the compensation scheme or strategy at Buffer? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm the Director of Business Operations here at Buffer. And so um, in that role, I get to work on kind of a wide variety of things. So my role kind of spans both financial planning and analysis. So kind of like our FP&A piece, a lot of forecasting and modeling. Um, I also kind of oversee different elements of our compliance and risk assessment and things like that. And then um, currently today, I also oversee a bit of our HR compliance and people operations as well. So um, a couple of, of big pieces there, but the piece that ties directly to compensation is really that FP&A piece. Um, because Buffer is fully remote um, and we are a SaaS company, so we're a software as a service, um, our, our operating expenses are made up um, about 80% from just salaries and benefits. So it's a really mm. big piece of our overall operating costs when it comes to actually what we're paying our people. And so um, that forecasting piece and that modeling piece kind of comes into play in a big way uh, just to make sure that as we're kind of evaluating costs uh, downstream and, and both current and kind of where those are going in the future, that we have a good sense of kind of how that ties into how we're paying our people. So um, the salary formula is a very big piece of that um, and um, has been quite um, fun and good for me uh, to work on over the years and, and kind of tweak that and, and see that evolve um, as the company has evolved and grown as well. And just like, as you say, it kind of evolved with time. So how does it, how did it work maybe at the beginning, maybe five years ago when it, you started putting it together and then today evolving as the company grows and that, you know, maybe the setup is a bit more structured and strong and you've all your learning from the past uh, years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Buffer actually um, introduced transparent pay back in 2013. Hmm. And um, back in that year, it actually, at the beginning of 2013, uh, the CEO and, and founder, Joel Gascoigne, he introduced uh, pay transparency internally. And then by the end of 2013, we kind of started toying with and playing with the idea of actually taking transparent salaries um, public. And so kind of making that something that we could actually share um, with other small businesses and just kind of be a resource for other people as well. At that time, uh, when the company decided to go transparent pay in 2013, part of that was also to explain to the world how we were calculating pay. And so I think that the concept of the salary formula 
or kind of how we calculate pay, how we kind of get to the numbers that we actually pay people has been something that has been around at Buffer since 2013. Um, in 2017, I was I worked directly with our VP of finance and we kind of overhauled the salary formula and kind of uh, our goal really at that time was to kind of simplify the formula and make it very easy both for our team to understand, but also for others to understand. And also just um, there were a couple of elements prior to 2017 that created just a little bit of complexity when we had pay changes. So maybe someone moving locations or things like that. There were just different elements of the formula that made that a little bit complex to calculate. And so at that time in 2017, we kind of overhauled the whole formula uh, wanting to kind of really make it very simple um, and easy to use and and something that we could really kind of grow into, but that was also adaptable over time. I think there are still still ways that we can evolve our pay and evolve our formula um, just as industry changes, as team needs change, as the company grows. And so we have found that to especially be true with this version of the formula that we do use today. Right. For those who are listening, I want to say that, you know, they'll be able to access the link that access to the salary formula online. It's actually, you know, I kind of take it for granted because I've been knowing this for a really long time, but then at the same time, many people maybe don't know. So it's accessible publicly for you to even like create your own uh, salary, like if it was you just trying to to, to do it yourself. Um, so you mentioned a moving location, for example, and this is something that, you know, in the debate is happening at the moment is people that discovered remote work had a salary for a specific location or maybe relocating somewhere else, uh, deciding that, oh, in the end, I want to move to that state because it'll be cheaper for me. But, you know, kind of hoping they will keep their same, same salary. How are you how are you handling that uh, at Buffer when people are, are like, well, I want to move location now? Are they having like a drop in their pay or having a a raise, like if they want to go in the in the Bay Area, for example? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really great question. And I think this particular piece of the salary formula is one that probably we have uh, wrestled with the most in terms of like, how should location impact what we pay people? And so in the 2017 version of the salary formula, we wanted to reduce the amount or the factor, I guess, that the location um, impacted pay. And so what we decided to do in 2017 is we decided to use a singular benchmark for all pay across the company, regardless of location. And so we settled on the San Francisco 50th percentile benchmark. So when you get online and kind of look at our salary formula, salary calculator, all of our roles are benchmarked to the San Francisco 50th percentile market. Um, But at the time in 2017, we didn't have uh, perhaps the budget or the flexibility to pay everyone at 100% of the San Francisco salary. And so what we did is we introduced what we call salary bands. So our highest band means that if you're living in San Francisco or you're living in New York or you're living in London, you're living in these extremely high cost of living cities, we will pay you 100% of the San Francisco benchmark. And then from there, we have three other bands. So we have an intermediate band, which pays 90% of the San Francisco benchmark. And then we have our average band, which the majority of the company falls within. That's 85% of the San Francisco benchmark. And then we do have a low cost of living band. We have a few cities that kind of are what we consider kind of like outliers to um, the the rest of the formula. Um, And so those do fall in our low cost of living band, which would be 75%. 
And so I think that by simplifying kind of the way that we um, introduce or, or kind of have the, the the cost of living factored into the salary, we found that to be very effective. I think ultimately the goal at Buffer is that we would like to continue to simplify those bands. But I think to your question and to your point around um, if someone moves, does their pay decrease or increase based on the location? It does insofar as if they change salary bands. So for example, I live in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm in the average cost of living band. If I were to move to New York City or to San Francisco, I would get a 15% increase in my pay just automatically. That's how the formula is calculated. And really at this point in Buffer's kind of history in life, like we want teammates to work wherever they are happiest and wherever they find fulfillment. And so there's kind of a no questions asked. If a teammate comes to us and says, I'm planning to move, we will just adjust their salary based on uh, when they actually make that permanent move to the new location. But the same is true if we have someone who lives in New York City and they decide they want to move to Louisville, Kentucky. So, and then we did have this, we have this come up. Um, you know, ever so often, I would say just as often as we have someone moving to a higher cost of living band, the same is true. And we have people who are in high cost of living areas and they're moving to other areas, they will see um, upwards of a 15% drop in pay if they end up in a city that's in that average cost of living band. Hmm. So I do think that, again, like that is the the cost of living component of our formula, I would say, um, is the biggest piece that we see opportunity to evolve. I think that we would, um, at a very minimum, like to reduce the number of bands that we have Right now we have four, I think in an ideal world, we would be able to pay everyone at San Francisco wages. Um, it just financially and, and from budget perspective, mm-hmm. that's just not something that we can do today. But I do think reducing the number of bands that we have is very much something that the company will continue to work towards. Mm. In the end, you kind of keep, you stay competitive that way. If you are kind of like having a benchmark, the base is San Francisco moves around that one because many people are like, companies at the moment are just figuring out am I paying according to their location and then like their um average salary there or am I paying you know according to San Francisco so it's kind of like taking an approach of a global view of what is that role globally across the world (laughs) and then saying like okay cost of living and then it's very complex like you guys did a really good (laughs) job there it is very complex. And I think I get the kind of the core of what we ultimately want to accomplish is we really do believe that someone's value and their contribution to the company, it shouldn't necessarily, the, the factor of where they live should not be this overwhelming part of what we choose to pay someone, right? Like we believe that the value and the contribution that people are making is kind of irrespective of where they live. And also though, um, you know, we we have always had a portion of our salary formula, even back to 2013, that had this location component. And so I think for us, one of the big lessons is that we can't just go from zero to 100. We can't just go from having a location component in, in the formula to not having a location component because we just can't financially afford to do that. But I think that there are incremental things that we can do along the way to get to our ultimate goal, which is we just believe that we should pay people for the value and the contribution that they make to the company. Mm -hmm. And you chose to have it transparent. Like it could be just a matrix that, you know, 
you're using and that, you know, people know they want to be promoted or whatever, how they can get to the second level or third level of a specific individual contributor or manager role. But you chose to have it transparent in a way that everyone can see everyone's level, everyone's like, yeah, it can it can create some challenges. Like what kind of challenges you've seen around that in, in this utopic, I think, way of, of seeing salary, which is, is quite respectable to be able to, to do that. But like, how has it been for the experience of employees in general? Yeah, I think that's a really, really fantastic question. <laughs> and I think that for the most part, it is so well received internally because People know when they join Buffer, this is what I'm signing up for. So there's mm-hmm. no like surprise when you come the first day and you're like, oh, my salary is going to be transparent, right? We're, we're super upfront. Um, even for people that may be a little bit less familiar candidates who may be less familiar with Buffer, we say in the offer letter, hey, transparency is a core value at Buffer. So by signing this offer letter, you're agreeing to have your salary shared transparently both internally and then externally on our website. Mm -hmm. So I think the element of surprise is not there. So I think that that helps a lot just in terms of people kind of know what they're getting into. They know what they're signing up for. Interestingly, though, I did recently read the book, The Psychology of Money. And I do think that there are some really interesting pieces of that book where Um, that probably do play out in subconscious ways here at Buffer amongst our team. So one of the things is that, you know, when we do have this ability to compare what we are making with what someone else is making, it does just kind of by a sheer psychological level, I think, create a sense of like, well, this person is making a little bit more than I am. How can I kind of get that mm-hmm. same type of compensation. So I don't want to in any way say that there is there are not some psychological impacts of knowing across the team what people are making. I think that what we really want to encourage the team, though, is that you play a part also in your career development at Buffer. If you want to make more money, we have a really clearly defined career framework on how you can advance to the next level in your career framework and get a promotion. And you'll know exactly what that promotion is up front. There's no secret to when I get to the next level in my career framework, is it going to be a $2,000 bump or is it going to be a $5,000 bump? You can see that at any time, um, at any point. And so I think that that's one thing for us internally. Um, I don't want to say that there's no comparison when it comes to being able to see everyone's salary across the company. But what we're hoping is that by integrating that salary formula with also the career framework and kind of clarity on what it takes in order to get promoted within your area and your role, that we're also creating some type of incentive of like you're in control of where you go from here. And and at your next promotion, this is what you can expect to get um, at that point. And so that's kind of the hope is that there's this balance of like, yes, there could be, you know, points of comparison, but also how can you work and advance your own career in order to reach the goals that you have in terms of what you hope to make one day? Mm-hmm. That's really inspiring. And then for you, like, what was the reason you decided to make it transparent? Like what was the benefit that you were seeing of like, we need this to be transparent and to be uh, out there? Yes. So I think there were a couple of things. Um, The first one is that um, I think making pay transparent actually opened up greater access to talent. 
So mm-hmm. when we, uh, the company went public with trans- or transparent salaries in 2013, we immediately saw a spike in applications after publishing the salary formula. I don't think that that's something that we foresaw. Like, I don't think it was, you know, as a part of the brainstorming session, like, how can we increase our pipelines? Mm-hmm. Let's do transparent pay. But that's kind of one of the side effects, I think, of what happened when we introduced salaries. And I think that has been so powerful for us because it has really developed a very, very strong um, and rich talent pipeline because we do remove this element of like, am I going to go through this entire application process and then get to the end and have them say a salary range that like isn't going to work for me or my lifestyle or, mm-hmm. and so I think we kind of have removed that. And as a result, you know, we, we have been able to see a really rich talent pipeline as a result of that. Um, I think one of the initial reasons that the company decided to go transparent was one, we really felt like internally after we published the salaries that we could see amongst the team that it really did breed a high level of trust and accountability, that it just kind of removed this element of like, um, am I being paid fairly? And so I think that just that trust that it built with the team, we felt like, could we expand that on a greater scale and kind of build that trust, you know, with the rest of small businesses and community uh, who are also maybe looking around and saying, how should we pay our people and kind of can we kind of be an example to others of what that looks like? And so I think that that was a big part of it. And um, when the company was was starting out very early on, we were kind of hoping to find examples of how are other small businesses, especially in the SaaS space, paying their employees. And uh, and so when we weren't able to find that as readily um, and we did start kind of developing our own philosophy of pay, I think we kind of wanted to be that example for others as well. Which other company do you know that did transparent salary? I don't really, like, I don't know. Maybe GitLab has something out there, but I don't know that many that are like, I can go and have a look and calculate my salary I'm going to have if I want to apply there, for example. Yeah, I want to say also Basecamp. They at least publish um, how they calculate pay. Um, And then I'm trying to think of others off the top. I think you are right about GitLab. but yeah, there are there are probably not not as many. I think that, but I, I have a sense that that will be something that probably like evolves along the way mm. as well, as we kind of break down those barriers of kind of not wanting or or talking about pay. Um, I think that we will start to see more companies mm-hmm. who are willing to be transparent about what they pay people. It can also be just transparent pay internally as well. Like maybe maybe some companies just don't want to have it out there in public, super transparent. They want to keep it, you know, part of the company. But at least there's no awkward question of like, what salary are you expecting for this role? (laughs) As like putting all the pressure on the candidate instead of being like, well, this is like our matrix. It's how it's going to work. We're going to do the interview process to like see where you fit in for the matrix. And then after um, this is going to be like the average salary you can expect for that role. Like it feels a bit more fair to get in a company where this is already kind of set up and gets the pressure away a little bit. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. And that is one, I think, think piece of advice that we do try to give companies who come to us. We do get the question a lot of like, we're not transparent today. What's your advice in terms of like, if we want to start moving towards transparency, what are some steps that we can take? And we always encourage companies like just go transparent internal first. Like it doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be 
you know, a flip of the switch that you're not transparent today. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's full transparency across the board. But even just like you said, just opening up that transparency internally um, can be so powerful and so helpful, I think, if you're wanting to start to move towards being more transparent in how you pay people. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing zero to a hundred in like a week and be like, we're going to become yeah. transparent. And then I've seen that, you know, companies wanting to do that and then just thinking oh, it's going to be so stressful. We don't know if the, the employees gonna, are going to be able to handle that kind of like in your face. This is what the salaries are. See that there's probably a lot of gaps everywhere and that yes. you'll have to actually forcefully have a discussion about okay, how are we making sure that everybody's paid it equally and we're kind of readjusting. It's hard mm-hmm. to start from to start from scratch when you already have a structure that maybe is not that healthy at the beginning. Yeah. Then yes. in buffer where it start from there, grew like that. Don't have to like rebuild the whole system and uh, yeah, definitely a challenge for these companies. Exactly. And have you seen? So you wrote also a piece about the gender pay gap that basically having transparent salary. I've kind of leveraged that and helped to minimize that gap. So can you explain a little bit more like what where did you see there? Yes, absolutely. So we started calculating kind of a, a pay gap analysis a couple of years ago now, and it's something actually that we've started to build into our internal monthly reporting. Um, just as we're having people get promoted and we're hiring and all of that, it's something that we actually try to track kind of on an ongoing basis, just in terms of kind of how, like, how is the gap evolving? What is the gap and all of that? So I think a couple of things to that point, like first on the adjusted side, we do not have a, a, a gender pay gap, right? So when we look at what we're paying male and female for the exact same role at the exact same level, there is no gap. That's because we have a salary formula that is is you know returning a number to us when we insert where we want to pay someone at this level for this role. And so there is no gap on, on that front. But when we look across the company and we zoom out a little bit at the unadjusted pay gap, when we look at just what are we paying all men across the average of all men across the company versus the average of all women across the company, we do have a little bit of a gap there. And, and um, it is certainly closing. A couple of years ago, that gap was um, closer to 15%. And we've been able to get that down to between 5 and 6%. So we're definitely making progress there. But the biggest thing the first year that we ran that gender pay gap analysis was that we realized that we just had a significant number of um more senior level men in the company. And some of that is because we, you know, when the company got started in early 2013, obviously we are a software company, we're a tech company. So we're hiring very heavily on the software engineering side of things. And um, we had, we just happened when we look back kind of at the history of that, we brought on quite a few more men at the time mm-hmm. in the early days of the company. And so as the company grew and evolved and all of that, those men got promoted right up within the company. It, it makes sense just in terms of just general progress within the company. But one of the things that we just weren't keeping an eye on as we were hiring is that we just didn't have a focus on hiring more senior level women um, into some of those, those roles as well. And so that was giving us this unadjusted pay gap. And so over the last couple of years, we've really have just started to focus on kind of what are some things that we can do to kind of close that gap. So Mm -hmm. one, how can we start just recruiting, um, you know, senior female software engineers? How can we kind of just start leveraging these female networks in tech? 
that uh, we can really just bring on this incredible talent of, of women who are a little bit more further along and more senior in their careers. So we really started just kind of focusing on hiring and recruiting. And then we also focused internally on development. How can we just make sure that we're creating avenues and pathways for women in the company to be able to grow into more senior level roles? Mm -hmm. And so I think those two things combined really kind of helped us close that unadjusted pay gap a little bit. And so now we we have been able to make some pretty big strides from about a 15% unadjusted to about five to 6% and still progress to go. So we're excited good. to continue to, to close that. Yeah. That's good. I think another challenge is when women want to level up in the company or go to a senior level where they already been hired at a specific level and they're all looking to get promoted to the next level on the metrics or the other level on top. Don't you think there is maybe actually also this kind of, I don't know if it's a bias or maybe it's not the right term, but basically that men are having more easiness. easiness. It's more easy for men to just be like, this is what I worth. I, want, I should be to the second level. Here's why, why, why. Very like, yeah. you know, straightforward where like for us as women in general, we would tend to be like, am I sure that I'm checking all the boxes and I'm really confident that I can have this raise and everything It might be slowing us down to actually get to the next level of seniority? Yeah, I think that is a really great point is that we have certainly had to recognize our own biases, but then also um, how do we manage when we know, just kind of statistically speaking, that exactly like you said, there is going to be the tendency amongst women to maybe not speak or highlight their accomplishments as easily as perhaps men. So I think one of the one of the things that I think that Buffer is really, really proud of is that our leadership team is actually um, the majority are women. And so mm -hmm. I think that like so we have like a VP of engineering, she's female. And I think that that actually kind of having her in that role and having her be able to kind of scout out some of those just general tendencies amongst women has been really helpful because she's able to identify when she's evaluating talent across our team of like, even though this female may not be speaking up about their accomplishments, like we know that this is what they've accomplished. And, and so we can feel confident, you know, when we do want to promote them, um, even if they perhaps like haven't spoken up as, as <laughs> confidently, maybe as some of the men um, that they, they are worthy and, and deserving of, of a raise and promotion. And so I think that that has been very helpful um, that um, our CEO has has really um, taken a keen interest in making sure that our leadership team um, is is you know weighted well and 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 equitably um, with with quite a few really amazing female members. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to if you come back to what is going on at the moment in the industry in the world of like people trying to include remote work as an add-on to their original culture, which was co-located. Mm. And now they're thinking, okay, do we have some sort of a hybrid salary? <laughs> you know, where there are like yeah. salaries for those who are in the office. You were mentioning that, you know, your um, salary uh, expenses are like 80% of your of the company expenses. So like yes, if you yeah. add on the office expenses and everything, and then we've seen companies saying, you're going to get, the, uh, we're going to give you $10,000 to go 
relocate and then have a decrease in salary or like, you know, and they kind of build this kind of hybrid setup where like if you work from home, you paid less. And if you work in the office, you're paid more. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, first, I will say that I don't envy companies who are trying to figure out the hybrid approach because I do think that it is extremely complex. I think not just from like a sheer logistical standpoint of like, what do we pay people, but also just from a sheer operational standpoint of how do we make sure and ensure that we have strong team communications when we have some people who are going to be meeting in an office every day and others who are going to be 100% online. I think that one of the benefits of Buffer is that we've kind of removed that complexity of you could have people in an office who maybe, you know, see each other in the hallway and they solve a problem together as they're they're passing and then well how does the rest of the team know about that, right? Because we're 100% online, so all of our coordination has to happen across the online channels that we've set up for the company. So first I will just say that I don't envy. I think that that is Mm -hmm. um, extremely complex. I will say though that I think that by and large, the thing that I hear the most, and even this past year from close friends of mine who have gone to a hybrid model or had to go to, you know, a a work from home model last year, um, I think people are extremely surprised that productivity often goes up when people are working from home. And so I think when we start to think about, like, should we pay someone less because they're working at home? I think that the first thing we have to do is just look at what's the productivity rate? Like, what's Mm -hmm. the output? Um, Is productivity going down? Is it staying the same? Is it going up? And I think that we should really allow that to influence how we think about what we're going to be paying people because um, I, I just have so many friends who were genuinely surprised I'm working from home now and I'm getting so much more done because I don't have office distractions. I don't have someone coming into my office every five minutes. And so just kind of this idea of like I'm able to get so much more done in a day, in my mind, if that's holding true for most companies, then we shouldn't be paying people less just because they are working from home versus Mm -hmm. coming into the office every day. So it's kind of, I think, a reshift in how we think about work and how we think about the impact of space and location on how we perform the work that we do. Mm. And when it comes to benefits, for example, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, you kind of mentioned it as, you know, uh, setting up the benefits for everywhere. Um, There are a lot of questions also now with the global expansion and be able to hire globally. How do you also give kind of equal benefits across the employees that you have around the world? Yes, that's a really good one. So in the United States, we uh, we hire everyone as employees. We are um, headquartered in the U.S. We're headquartered in San Francisco. And so uh, we work with a broker who kind of helps us manage health, dental, vision, short-term disability, long-term disability, to make sure that regardless of, the, of where in the 50 states someone is located in the United States, that we're able to kind of offer equitable benefits across the board to all U.S. employees. I will say, though, that I think that one of the things about being a global company that we really have had to reconcile is that while we do want to offer benefits globally, that benefits are going to look different depending on the country that you're in, right? Because there are going to be some countries that have different national insurance. um, And so that's going to just look very different than in the United States, where obviously uh, we don't have that same level of benefit at the national level. So um, we do try very, very hard to make sure that we are offering benefits 
to everyone, regardless of where they live. So health, dental, vision, we offer support regardless of the country that you're located in. But those benefits do look different depending on where you're located. Um, in Canada, we work with a professional employment organization, and they actually employ our, our teammates up in Canada. And so they have um, a certain broker group that they work with that administers um, supplemental health, dental, and vision in addition to the national insurance that Canadians do get. So that's kind of one example. Um, The rest of the team that's located outside of the countries where we're actually employing people um, are actually hired as independent contractors. So we do more of a reimbursement model when it comes to health, dental, vision. So if a teammate, for example, is located in France, um, perhaps their national insurance doesn't cover a dental procedure that they're going to have, we will offer um, a certain amount of reimbursement for them um, if they do incur an out-of-pocket cost like that. So it really does kind of depend on the country. Um, a couple of years ago, we opened up a subsidiary in the UK. And so mm-hmm. um, we have that's been kind of an exciting development for us. And we do work with a group over there that uh, also off- helps us offer supplemental uh, dental health and vision. And so, yeah, I think it's kind of as we've expanded globally and as we think about our global employment Uh, We really try to think about benefits as kind of something that we can like layer on depending on where a teammate is located in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so challenging. There are so many if and this and everything changes depending where you are. It is definitely a a big challenge and, you know, it takes time to set up. Um, You know, maybe I think Buffer is a company of maybe 85 people at the moment. Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. And if you're like over a thousand people at some point, and I think these companies might need to work with like uh, employment, employers of record or kind of have a setup that is a bit more like uh, um, scalable, I would say, that when you are maybe growing a bit slower at a time. And then on the end note a little bit, just to know, for those who are wanting to move towards a bit more of a transparent salary about, you know, are thinking about this gender pay gap, wanting to be more equitable um, and create a, some sort of a, a structure from the experience you have, the mistake you've made, the learnings, mm. like what would be like two or three things that you would say, think about that when you're going to be uh, doing so. Mm. The first thing that comes to mind for me actually is don't be afraid of a phased approach. So I think even for us, as we think about, we talked a lot about during this this time together, just kind of about that location component of our salary formula. We know it's an area of the formula that we want to evolve over time, but we also know that it's not something that we can just make happen overnight. So my first piece of advice, I think, for anyone who's kind of thinking about what could this look like for us is to perhaps like break it down and to really think about how can we like phase in? What's our ultimate end goal And then kind of what are some three or four steps that we can take to kind of work towards that end goal? And don't be afraid to phase that in. I think, too, um, more than likely, the your employees and your team will be very receptive um, if you come with a plan, right? So here's what we're thinking and, and kind of inviting, I think, input along the way. That has been very, very powerful for us is that we really try as hard as we can not to work in silos or work in a vacuum, but to kind of let the team know Here's what we're thinking. Here are some ideas that we have. What what do y'all think? What's your experience with the salary formula? What's mm-hmm. your experience with 
family and friends knowing your pay. Um, and so we, we really try to kind of open up as many lines of communication as we can with the team to invite their input as we're developing plans and thinking about changes that we want to make. Uh, one of the things at Buffer that we really strive for is that we don't want any big announcement to ever come as a huge surprise. And so part of that is um, our people team does a phenomenal job of running regular engagement surveys and or perhaps, you know, a very specific targeted survey about like maybe we do a survey just about pay just to kind of check in with people and see how they're feeling. And I think that two-way street of like there's not someone off in a corner working on some big change to my pay um, has been a really big learning for us that we want to bring people with us along the way. We want to invite their insight because honestly, the team is our greatest asset and greatest resource and they have phenomenal ideas. Um, and I think so much of our salary formula has really evolved uh, because of the team's fantastic input um, and feedback along the way. That's awesome. I think you're still, after all these years, such a good influencer in the sphere of like salary and transparency and just keep being such a good influence and it's really amazing to see the company kind of evolving also and be able to follow and apply this these tips to your own company so thank you for being so transparent as a company thank you for joining the podcast today and then sharing even more of your insights there it was really nice to have you jenny Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Daphne. It's always fun for us to get to share a little bit of our thinking and kind of how we ended up here. So I appreciate you inviting me on to the podcast today. Thank you for tuning in to Remote First. You can find all links and show notes in the episode description. And if you found value in this show, we'd love your rating on your listening app of choice. Thank you for being here. See you next time.